on behalf of Extreme Championship Wrestling, it is my unfortunate duty to inform the viewers that due to his refusal to honor his obligation to both the ECW and its fans by appearing and performing at the three-way dance, Sabu has been indefinitely suspended. Podcast for April 1995, jumping back in the time machine to look at ECW. In part two, part one, we've already talked about the biggest show of the year in WrestleMania 11 and also wrapped up on WCW for the month, but we're just dedicating part two to ECW. Action packed ones, looking at the recent live event of the three way dance, full TV review, and a couple of significant moments. No surprises for ECW as well. I am joined by Chris Lacey. Chris, hello. How do you, Dale? Are we okay? We are good. Good. Nice to have you on board again for the ECW stuff. Bob Bamba, guest on your own show. I I, I like this role. Um, Yes, hello, Dale. You're just starting to phone it in now, Bob, aren't you? Something like that, yeah, particularly this month. But anyway, the less said about that, the better. Well, there we go. Um, Starting on with the, the news, first thing this month, we've actually got a bit of... Off camera news starting with ECW for a bit of a change. It's usually the the TVs and the live events that make the make the headlines with ECW. But we've got quite a big possible departure, but certainly from a kayfabe standpoint, a indefinite suspension to quite a big superstar. Um, Sabu, who recently, as we spoke about on the show, has now got commitments with New Japan Pro Wrestling, actually double booked himself for the recent live event Three Way Dance. Um, Sabu was meant to be showing up at the event to take part in the main event, the three-way dance itself, which was basically a triple threat tag team match, but was actually not showing the event and only actually found out by Paulie Dangerously, or booker Paul Heyman, a couple of days before that he wouldn't be attending. Now, on the week after the event, it was advised on TV by Commissioner Todd Gordon that Sabu was indefinitely suspended, and Paul Heyman actually cut a lengthy promo at the beginning of the live event to advise the fans of this. Now, at the minute, we're unsure of Sabu's future with the company, but we will be having a full wrap-up with us later in the show. A busy month in ECW for title changes as all three championships changed hands in April. Most notably, the longest reigning champion of the country is no longer the franchise Shane Douglas. At ECW's Hostile City Showdown on April the 15th, the Sandman defeated Douglas to win the ECW World Heavyweight Championship with the aid of his valet woman. The Sandman did submit in a chicken wing during the pinfall, an aspect pointed out by Douglas's representatives since. <laughs> 
It will prove to be a double cross by a woman who had seemingly sided with the franchise earlier in the month, three-way dance. All signs now point to Douglas leaving for the WWF as teased in March, after the match Douglas put on a Monday Night Raw t-shirt before leaving through the crowd to the exit and hasn't been seen since. And as Bob says, another title change that happened this month was in the main event of that three-way dance event, and we've now got new tag team champions. The former champions Dean Malenko and Chris Benoit would defend against both the Tasmaniac and Sabu and the public enemy. Now, again, as we mentioned earlier, due to commitments with New Japan, Sabu would not perform at the show, but in the beginning of the show with Paulie Dangerously, it was announced they would have a replacement, and it was none other than former national tag team champion Rick Steiner. Now, the match was ultimately won by the public enemy, who are now your new ECW tag team champions, and they seem to have ready-made number one contenders in the pitbulls. The last ECW belt to change hands this month was the television title held by Two Cold Scorpio, who lost his championship to the debuting Eddie Guerrero at three-way dance. Guerrero arrives from Mexican promotion AAA and already shows much potential to an audience favourite in the States. A week later at Hostile City Showdown, he and Dean Malenko had what is being described as an excellent match, although it is yet to air on TV. So, starting on with the TV review for the month, we'll have the first week before the three-way dance live event. Pretty much acted as uh, an opener for the event that was coming to the live crowd and would also be available on ECW Home Video. The programme itself started with a pretty long um, video package building up the main event of three-way dance itself and it would basically focus on the three tag teams going back to remember August of 1994. It would be building up the the kind of makeshift tag team of the Tasmaniac and Sabu. They're right to the top in their scuffles with Dean Malenko and Chris Benoit, the champions, and it would also focus on the public enemy. Now, it was a pretty lengthy video package, and understandably, with the recent impact of Sabu no showing, you can understand the contempt from ECW backstage with the focus that was put on this. So, we now arrive at the three-way dance. We've got a bit of a cold open with Joy Styles at ringside, Bill up the main event and we then cut to Paul Heyman who advises that Sabu is in Japan he's no showed the event after he was booked and there's going to need to be a surprise partner for the Tasmaniac in the main event and Bob fire us off with the results please Alright, in the opener the Pitbulls defeated Tony Stetson and Johnny Hotbody in the second match, Raven with Steve Richards and Beulah McGillicuddy defeated Tommy Dreamer. We'll, we'll explain that when we get to it. Uh, Mikey Whitrack defeated Ron Simmons by DQ. Eddie Guerrero defeated Two Cold Scorpio to win the ECW television title. Axel Rotten defeated Ian Rotten in a, well, anything goes match. And after the match, uh, Ian Rotten had to have his head shaved. Hack Myers defeated Dino Sendoff. Shane Douglas defeated the Sandman with Woman to retain the ECW World Heavyweight title. And in the main event, the Public Enemy defeated Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko and Taz and Rick Steiner with Paulie Dangerously to win the ECW World Tag Team titles. Thanks very much, Bob. Chris, what did we make of this? It was uh, an interesting show. Um, sort of coming into it, getting some squash matches, um, some extreme violence. Yeah. And, and some well-built feuds going into matches. It was it was a, an overall fairly good show. That's that. And I mean, it's something that Bob always stands by as well, especially when we're looking at WCW. And you look at these ECW live events, 
it's pretty it's pretty biased to rate it in the same kind of scale as we would a pay per view. So it's it kinda of gets a bit of generosity with that regard. But as you say, there's some moments in there, a couple of squash matches, the violence were probably going to come on there a bit later on in the, the show review and even some of the T V stuff. But as you say, a decent enough decent enough show overall, Bob, what do you think? Um yeah, it's amazing having well, watch the the uh, the double table show in February. This one, and then I, I did catch the bulk of uh, of Hostile City Showdown that, mm-hmm. that that was the live event the following week. And there's a very kind of already having watched three of these shows, there's a very similar pattern going with these shows, which kind of makes yeah. sense. But it all seems to be based around a big main event that they hype on TV, uh, a world championship match in the co-main, a really good wrestling match in the middle uh and then a lot of other brawling and undercard matches and and this fit part of that but i don't think this was a great live event now it's tricky in the sense that once sabu comes out of it who knows you know what i mean in terms of what what they could have done with the main event and that he more than anyone else was a big loss for that main event just because he had such big beasts with benoit and with rocco rock going back to well kind of november time so they've been that was been building for a while um, but there were some very good moments. There was a lot of swearing on this show, um, yep. both from the fans who chanted fuck Sabu pretty much all night long. Um, and then there was, um, uh, 9-1-1, I think he said he was going to fuck yeah, up Yeah, he's going to fuck up Ryan Simmons, yeah. Um, and then there was, yeah, swearing all over the shop. Um, yeah, decent show, but not as good as it perhaps could have been, and certainly not as good as it could have been had Sabu have been on the card. Well, that's it. I mean, we even look back to the, the Power 10 that we'd done on the, the website at the start of this month, looking back at eight, um, looking back at March with Sabu number one. And as you say, this rivalry's been, been kind of building up with all three of the teams that were meant to be in it as far back as the middle of last year. So, I mean, it was definitely a big loss, but starting off with the, the show, the first match we've got, as you read out in the results, we've got the Pitbulls, and they've gone up against the Broad Street Bullies of Hitman, Tony Stetson and Johnny Hotbody. Um, not a lot to the match, in all honesty, a bit of a squash match with the Pitbulls, just to, to destroy the the Bullies in just under a minute. The the pre-match going into this, we cut to, to ringside, and the Broad Street Bullies and Steve Richards were out with Raven, pretty much his disciples, and the Bullies were told that they would either need to be win. Uh, they would either need to win or they would be fired as per the instruction of initially Steve Richards. But when they declined that offer, it was as per the words of Raven. So Steve Richards brings out the pit bulls. They annihilate the bullies. It must have been about 50, 50 odd seconds. The finish of the match, basically a super bomb in the corner from both the pit bulls on the hitman Tony Stetson as Johnny Hotbody was battered to the outside. Quick win after the match. We've then got the pit bulls pledging allegiance instead of to Jason, to Raven. Um, Richards just playing the bumble and fill to perfection at this point. He then announces that he's found quote unquote that girl who went to camp with Raven and Tommy Dreamer. So we seem to be getting a bit more meat in the bones of that feud. Raven said he didn't want to know her. She was a fat, overweight mess, and he slapped Stevie. But Richards then tells Raven that he's not, um, she's not what he left behind and introduces Bueller McGillicotty. Um, Bob, I'm going to start on the angle itself after the match here. What do you make of the, the progression of this Raven Dreamer and now the introduction of Bueller stuff? 
It, it, it's tricky because it, it feels like we're, we're we're watching a part of a very big story that we're only kind of seeing kind of like piece mm-hmm. by piece. Um, and so it's kind of like every time you feel like they're going to either wrap it up or at least develop it along where they add something new, and this is a part of that. Um, so I'm intrigued, but still I, I think they need to like, give us a bit more info um, and, and develop the story a bit more. That being said, I thought the angle was very effective. I think Steve Richards is excellent um, in his bumbling buffoon role. That opinion has evolved in the last couple of months. Um, he, he, if he was bad, he, either he's still really bad, although I'm not convinced that's the case, or he is a very good actor, and I think the, the, the latter is true in terms of playing that role. Uh, angle was very good. Um, I, I think Raven's very good in his role. They still need to explain what Steve Richards is doing there. I mean, the thing you didn't mention, Del, I think it was this show. It might have been the one after. But on one of these two shows, um, Steve Richards was dressed in, like, Raven knockoff gear in, like, daisy suit jeans and then a kind of black sleeveless tee. Um, so where Richards comes into all this, they need to establish. But I thought it was a very effective angle, what they did. Yeah, class. See, I'm I'm intrigued in what's going on here. Um, obviously, taking the pit bulls over the board street bullies is clearly the way forward. If you know to mm-hmm. sort of fill out the pre-Raven fights for Dreamer, because um, yeah. the broad street bullies are a waste of time, pretty much. <laughs> and I'd rather see Dreamer against the pit bulls. Um, and they'd be presented as a waste of time as well. So I don't think that's just your opinion. I think that's how they they were meant to be used. Yeah. Mm. And the thing is, I like having Stevie as the little spokesman, and you can sort of see that he's sort of trying to play his own game as well. as like, you can do my bidding. He'll do what I want you to do. I want to do what Raven wants you to do. He, he's the one. It's like he's a little bit drunk on power of being number two, which is quite funny. Um, I, I can see a lot of legs in Dreamer and Raven as a feud. And, and what about Beulah's legs? Are you see hers as well? Or? Yeah, they're, they're, they're <laughs> worth a look. But it's one of those, uh, I reckon you can have this run out for over the year, and you do little bits every every time, and I think the end picture is going to be something that we look back on at the end and go, that was an amazing feud. That's where they were going at. Makes sense. Now, I mean, you're totally, totally right. I think this is going to be something that's going to take up a lot of... TV time, live event time, the next few months. As Bob says, getting that bit of intrigue with Bill and there's good. We need a little bit more, but something that's, that's really underplayed with Steve Richards as well is when being that kind of loud mouth character, it manages to get a lot of the story across, but without exposing that kind of mystery that, that Raven's got as well. So I think it's pretty, pretty clever storytelling here. Um, just actually moving on, these guys are still at ringside and we get the arrival of Tommy Dreamer and up next it's going to be the Raven and Tommy Dreamer match. So with the, the history that these guys have got, plus obviously the new presence of Bueller McGillicuddy, we've got a quite a hot start to the, the match, really brawls to the outside early on. Raven's got an early upper hand before he gets rammed into a steel barrier. Um, it's spills to the, the backstage area, Tommy using the wall and the bin to use his advantage brawls Raven through the crowd and we obviously get the monthly frying pan spot they get back to ringside Raven gets attacked with a cheese grater and a metal street sign the the blood just starts to pour from this point 
a chair gets held up with a fan for Tommy, but he ends up getting reversed and Dreamer gets blasted with the, with the chair by Raven. And there's a double axe handle from the apron to Tommy Dreamer. A bloody Raven then drags him through the crowd, launches him into one of the metal support pillars of the ECW arena, and Raven then sent on Tommy Dreamer from the apron again. Um, Tommy gets back on top, steel chair shot to the body, and the two of them fight up to the sound stage. We've got Raven laid out in the concrete floor. Dreamer then hits a splash from the Eagle's Nest up with the, the commentary. The commentary comes from with Joey Styles up in the Eagle's Nest. It's really a crazy bump when there's a a table right there not used, but that's ECW for you. Um, a battered Raven gets sent back to the, the ring. Tommy gets him up for a pile driver and shows him to the crowd as he's becoming known for. The crowd chants, he's hardcore to Tommy Dreamer. Stops him going for the pin, gets a bit distracted. And at that point, Raven gets two DDTs and a flying top rope drop kick. A power slam leads to a two count. Back on the outside, we've got Steve Richards trying on with Beulah. The two of them eventually start fighting, where Richards trying to choke Beulah by the looks of it. Tommy Dreamer, the effervescent good guy, goes out trying to break it up, but Beulah sprays him with hairspray. Steve then super kicks Tommy into Raven, who hits a DDT in the concrete. Tommy's rolled into the ring for the pin, and he's still looking for that win over the Raven. Chris, what did you make of this? It was a great walking roll. Yeah. Um... Initial, you know, seeing the standard sort of frying pans and chairs, I was like, oh, same, same old sort of fare as usual. Mm-hmm. And then the cheese grater came out, and I was like, yes, that that's taking it to, you know, as they say, extreme. Um, I like the fact that they cheated with the Bueller and Stevie outside bit because mm-hmm. it makes Tommy's character more sympathetic, even though he is there smacking people upside the head with a frying pan it's hard to go well how's he the baby face and the good guy when he's smacking someone with a frying pan but then he's there to save the damsel in distress raven looks even more dastardly because he took advantage of you know using the damsel in distress and having raven win keeps the feud going as well which i this is me, I, as i said earlier i see this being a long long feud where it's going to be one of those where, for an age, we are going to be waiting for Tommy to get that win, and it'll be what can what will Tommy do to beat Raven? Bob, you're putting ECW. When does Tommy get this one? Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how long you can hold off on it in the sense that his win ends the feud, and it's like. At the rate they're telling this story at, this is going to take another six months to get through. He can't keep losing. He can't can't keep having Dreamer come out and get screwed each time. I think it would get quite predictable. And and plus, this is this is a company that what we believe is Heyman wants to run it. As in, we don't have many screwy or unclean finishes. Mm -hmm. Either you, you you pin Dreamer clean, which kind of then ends it, or Dreamer wins, so yeah, I, uh, tricky. But tricky to yeah. see how they go about. It's it difficult without knowing how long they're gonna go on with this year, gone, Chris. It's one of those you could use as a way to introduce people into Raven's little buddy list, though, as that's the way that Raven keeps winning. Is he has a new buddy? That's a new roadblock. Tommy gets his wins back on the roadblocks. 
on the way to Raven, but he's always sort of falling at that last hurdle. Yeah, that, it'll be interesting to see. Stretch it out. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what how they how they do with this. But the the match I thought was very good, but I kind of think it suffered from what came afterwards in that this kind of felt this quite homogenized walking brawls that we well, admittedly we come to expect from ECW, but it all kind of blends in. And what I think actually was quite a good match, but at the end of the night felt like oh, just another brawl. Um, but they worked hard. And I, I like the finishing sequence with the hairspray. Stevie hits a nice super kick. Um, Raven was on the money with his DDT in terms of being in the right place at the right time without being too early. Uh, hit that and then rolls him into the ring for the victory. Yeah, I thought this was quite good. But I, again, I think by the end of the show, it was like, ah, that's like one of four walking brawls, which was probably too, too many, I'd say. Well, David, I say we've got another, another couple to come. But in the ring, we've got Ron Simmons the returning world champion. He's in ring and he's set for a match with Mikey Whipwreck. Now, Mikey being the, the lovable underdog that he is, he's coming out kind of quite cautiously, coming out to see Big Bad Ron. Simmons really just berating him and it might try to kind of warn him almost, don't come in, go backstage, save yourself a beating. Mikey's still pretty cautious, gets up to the apron, but Simmons then gets a, a drop kick. Mikey goes from the apron and we're back into the ring and Mikey's really struggling early on. The crowd's chanting for 911. They want to try and level up the odds a bit for the youngster. After a low blow, Mikey does get in some momentum, gets a drop kick, clothesline, goes for Simmons, but he then gets a two count only. Still tries to get a bit of momentum, dies for the top, Simmons catches him, batters him into a power slam, and we then get Big Ron hitting two choke slams. Now, it seems to be a bit of an echo to the crowd's desire to get 911 out of the back, but then the referee gets choke slammed as well for his efforts, and young Mikey gets the, the DQ win. Um, Whipwreck then gets launched to the outside by, by Ron Simmons after the match, but he's safe into the arms of, not Jesus, but 911. Simmons gets a, a low blow on the big man. Before giving him a, he's holding choke slams, so the 911's down at the hands of Ron Simmons, and it's at the, the mercy he's on move the choke slam. Paul E, really worried, just runs into the ring to his aid. We then get the, the undercard, pretty much the locker room empties for those guys. They run out. 911 gets up, explodes, and just choke slams everybody inside. We've got Johnny, um, Tony Stetson. We've got Donny Allen, Joe Hartgood, uh, Dino Sendoff. We've got everybody that you can imagine for ECW's undercard. Paul E then manages to get in some phone shots for good measure as well. And as Bob said earlier on, just to show we're on ECW home video and not on TV, 911 yells back at Ron Simmons, calling him a piece of shit, saying he's going to fuck him up. What do you make of this, this kind of side of ECW, Bob? Um, well, I mean, I'm approaching this from the wrong angle, but um, I like, I like what they did and I like the fact that they're giving 911 a bit more to do because as good mm-hmm. as 911 is in person, he very infrequently features on TV, although or certainly not in anything more significant than just the odd spot. Um, I, I like the kind of angry side to him. I like the fact they're trying to treat him by something different and, and not many of the guys are swearing over the house, Mike, um, which he did. That made sense. Um, but I, I, the, the match itself, and I guess we can discuss it separately, the match itself was fine for what it was, but I thought in terms of 
one, the little brief bit of wrestling we saw from 911 on Ron Simmons wasn't very good, um, which is a bit of a concern. And also, as much as it paved the way for 911 laying out all the jobbers, what the hell were they doing out there? Yeah. Like, 9-1-1 gets beaten up by Ron Simmons, and then Ron Simmons buggers off, and then seven jobbers come out to check well, on the guy who's... Bear in who, mind, who, Bob, these are the guys that 9-1-1 usually week in, week out is annihilating. So it seems exactly. a bit strange they would come out to his aid. Exactly. I, I don't know how they'd have got around that, but that to me was really clunky. Um, but it did, it did at least give him an excuse to come out. I don't know. Maybe if you had those two brawling for a while and then send out the jobbers as a way of splitting them up, Ron Simmons buggers off and then you do that, or Ron mm-hmm. Simmons wins the brawl, buggers off. I don't know. That, that, that should have been tighter. Well, something I want to know is, Chris, I want to know your thoughts, especially on Mikey, but Bob, I want to ask you something first, just on the thoughts of 911. Can I get in that? That more of a chance to see him, see what he can do. I've already said I think he's got the best choke slam in the business at the minute, but as you say, he's not somebody that gets regular TV time. Looking back, the last time I can remember him in anything really more notable than just being the backup for, for Paul E., it's really going back to last year. It might even have been the end of 93, start of 94 with Mr. Hughes. Do you think that kind of died a bit of a death based on 911's attributes? Or do you think it was just the kind of the same old stuff for, for Mr. Hughes that kind of dragged that down? Do you think 911 can get above that with Ron Simmons? Um, it, it, it's difficult. I mean, I, I like what they're doing and it, and it, it, it makes sense, but in a funny kind of way, if I'm going to do the big guy walking brawl, or the walking brawl at any of these matches, this might be the one I'd be inclined to do it on. The problem is, is that mm. if you're going to put this on a show, and it did feature at Hostile City Showdown, although the, um, the home video they released, like, only showed the end. Um, so I don't know as and if and when we might see that in May at all on TV. Um, but in terms of, Look, I like that style of match, but it would have to be a walking brawl style. Uh, I don't know whether if these two try and wrestle each other, whether it would be any good. So I, I'm unconvinced. Yeah, and to make the quality of that walking brawl, we obviously want to try and get it in a, an environment where it's not nine walking brawls and a wrestling match that's on a yeah. show as well, I would say. And um, equally these, actual these match still. itself, Ron Simmons, Mikey, what do you, what do you think of this? I'm a bit concerned for Mikey Whitbrack and a way of... I think we're all concerned he, for Mikey Whitbrack, Chris. Hey, hey is, is he able to survive all these beatings that he gets regularly? <laughs> and if all he's ever going to be is this plucky underdog that gets an absolute hiding every time and scrapes a win, is that going to get old too quickly? Because um, the sympathy is going to run out if every week you just see him getting a hiding. I, I don't know. I don't know. I just just to add something on that, I I think they're evolving him. I I I wouldn't treat this like I would the Mikey Whitrack of a few months ago. I mean, to sum up the Mikey Whitrack story in about thirty seconds, he spent the last six months of last year either in a tag team or his own being the complete underdog, the guy who got his ass handed to him and then picked up the shock victory. Then did the feud with Paul Laurier where they put him in the ring with a guy of a similar size. So he Sorry, could, Bob. The giant Paul Laurier. The giant Paul Laurier. Put him in the ring with someone who theoretically was the same size or theoretically wasn't. 
um, wrestled him and kind of improved it. And then we saw the match with Sabu, I think, last month, where, all right, he got beaten clean, he got beaten comfortably, but he was in that match. And so, Chris, I, I, I'm inclined to think that the idea is is that they've gone from him being a complete fluke to him being a guy who can beat guys of his own size to him now being the guy that can compete with bigger names but can't beat them. So I think... I think they're evolving him at the moment. If we're still here in six months' time and he's being he's fodder to bigger names, then I'd be inclined to agree, but I wouldn't say that at the moment. I'm just going on what I've seen. And, yeah. and all I've seen is I've seen him getting his arse handed to him and fluking wins, or as he did like today, getting the win with by a DQ. Um, I think Ron Simmons a bit wasted in ECW because I don't see him as the type of wrestler that should be doing walking brawls. Um, going from what I've seen of him back in WCW, he is a good technical wrestler. He can put on a good power man match. I, I just don't think he's the type to be doing walking brawls. And I don't get what's so great about 911. I got the crowd were all very into him. As I said, all I've ever seen of him is basically being Heyman's flunky or Paul Lee's flunky and coming in, choke slamming someone and walking away. I, I, I don't see what's meant to be so great about him on why the crowd have the reaction they do for him. Well, Bob, I don't know about you, but I was never one to imagine that 911 needed any backup, especially knowing us two. No. No, certainly not. <laughs> so next up, we cut to the Crippler, Chris Benoit. He's in the ring with Joey Styles. He's calling out Taz for costing Malenko, Di Malenko's TV title last month. But what he does say is at least the Tasmaniac showed up, not like the pussy Sabu. Um, Taz then comes out, the two of them go at it. Joey Styles understandably flees for his life, but then we get Dean Malenko coming out to back up his partner. Who's going to come out to help Taz? We've got Rick Steiner, the dog-faced gremlin, is back on TV. Bob, what do you make of us? This was great. Um, yeah. for, for, for one, in the sense that I think I said either in the news or just after that they they shouted fuck Sabu all night. They actually didn't. Um, they shouted fuck Sabu from pretty much every moment on after this promo. Um, Benoit's really good in the sense that his promos are now just about passable when, when you can put him in this kind of spot. But he sounds a little bit awkward and a bit clunky, but it kind of adds to the character almost in that mm. his delivery is a little bit inconsistent and you're kind of like, oh, this guy's got a little bit extra to him. So even there's that. Um, so that was quite nice. He linked the Sabu part nicely into Taz. They built up the bit. Malenko comes out, two and one attack. And then Rick Starter comes out and the place exploded. I mean, that was It's great. like a hero's welcome, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and all credit, I mean, we we may not, well, we may discuss it afterwards with the Sabu, but all credit to Paul Heyman for, for calling Rick Steiner on about four days' notice. Well, I, that's I don't what I was going many... to say. Something we'll probably talk about later on, but talking about 48 hours, 72 hours notice, pulling that ace out of the heart, fair play to him. And I mean, he basks in the, he seems to bask in the genius of his own brain with the, at the replacement of Sabu with Rick Steiner. The crowd just lap him up. And as you say, as soon as they've seen Rick Steiner and they know what's happening, we pretty much constantly get those those crowd chants of fuck Sabu, and you can understand why. It's been a long My partner and I came here tonight to prove why we are ECW tanking champions. To beat 
the best in the world to beat the best in professional wrestling. There's a few vendettas that are going to be settled tonight. Tasmaniac, you caused my partner the TV title. I will give you some credit. You've got some guts. You showed up tonight. Not like the pussy, Sabu, that's hiding halfway across the world. I always told these people here what kind of a pussy he was. And it took all this time for them to find out for themselves. Before we get the three-way underway tonight, Tasmaniac, if you want to come out here and prove your manhood, I'm waiting right here. So, gentlemen, moving on, we've had the surprise returns, we've had the big walk-in brawls, we now have a wrestling match. ECW, and maybe more renowned for the E than the W, but we've got a wrestling match, we've got two called Scorpio, TV champion, he's going up against Eddie Guerrero. Chris, I want to come to you first here, because we obviously looked at AAA when Worlds Collide last year. Eddie mm. Guerrero is somebody that we've got a bit of history of, kind of seen what he can do. What did you think of him in this match? I was very happy to see him, A, on the show is one thing, and secondly, to see that everything we thought he could do when we saw him in a tag team, he was able still to do even better on his own. Because um, when we were discussing AAA, we both sort of went, it's a great concept, those two as a tag together, they work well off each other, we'd love to see them go into the States as a tag team. And obviously we had the, the untimely death of Art, which, you know, yeah. it was one of those of us thinking, would Eddie still go on? Would he still be okay? And see him on this and being better than he was in the AAA show, it, it made me smile inside. And as you say, it was a nice nice touch at the end as well. Joey Styles giving it a a wee nice shout out to, to Art, Mach- uh, Art Bar Love Machine from from the commentary from the commentary position. Bob, I think we were very very excited coming into this match. Did you think it delivered? Uh, do you want to review it first? Well, we'll review it and then you can let me know what you think. Oh, um, pre- pretty even even start to the the start of the contest. Really grappling style as we say. It's going to be a wrestling match. Eddie Guerrero delivers. Tuchel Scorpio delivers. It's really nice exchanges at the start. We've got a a modified face lock on from Scorpio. Gets reversed into an arm lock with Guerrero. Eddie works over Tuchel's damaged shoulder that he's still carrying from a couple of weeks ago. And he then extends his, he extends his hand to Scorpio but gets pushed down for his troubles and then kips back up. Um, there's a couple of sharp cover exchanges. Tuchel then offers his hand to Eddie Guerrero. But he then gets clotheslined before a somersault plancher from the apron over the ropes and we're just in, in wrestling heaven for ECW here. Um, there's actually a, a, what I would like to call a Scorpio deathlock to Eddie. Um, Eddie finds the ropes, hits a brain buster and a beautiful, a beautiful frog splash gets a long two count. Um, there's an underhook, uh, underhook arm drag from Too Cold. Gets a couple of kicks into the face of Guerrero, a lightning lightning whip to the barrier on the outside, and another close count for Scorpio. The crowd really rallying behind Eddie at this point. Um, there's a, butterf- a butterfly suplex from Too Cold, another two count. Eddie then mule kicks him, being that lovable rogue that he is, follows up throwing Scorpio to the outside, 
and then he feigns a, a suicide dive, but Scorpio pulls away. Eddie stays in the stays in the ring, but then climbs to the top turnbuckle, dives over the ring post, lands spot on two cold Scorpio like a missile, and he's already halfway up the aisleway by this point. The crowd heats up again. A fisherman suplex and a tornado DDT get another two near falls for Eddie, and Scorpio goes to the top. Eddie crotches him in the ropes, and what I would have called a hurricanrana, but seeing we've got the dog phrase Gremlin in the show, we'll call it a Steiner, a Frankensteiner. Gets a long two count again, takes Tuchel back up to the, the top, he does a lovely back flip onto the mat, Scorpio dives, gets a close count of his own, and then a perfect moonsault for Scorpio, we still don't have a three count. It was a great power bomb to Eddie. Scorpio does that standing 270 leg drop. Guerrero's laid out. He symbols for the tumbleweed. Basically a corkscrew 270 from the top. Scorpio pulls out of the pin. Hits a savat kick. But Eddie manages to catch Scorpio out with a quick pin reversal. Gets the win. New TV champion Eddie Guerrero. Bob, what do you think of this? Um... I suspect you two will like this match more than I did. Uh, that's not to say the match wasn't very good. It was. Um, but ECW have got a problem that they've had for a while, which is if Two Cod Scorpio can hit the tumbleweed and a moonsault from the top rope and can't get the job done, that doesn't tell me that Eddie Guerrero's great. That tells me Two Cod Scorpio's not very good. If you can go to the top rope twice and you still can't get it done, um, to me that's that's bad kind of putting of a match together. Uh, that being said, the, the technical ability of both is exceptional. Uh, and one thing I really like about Guerrero, well, another fact as well was just the fact that they they didn't, you know, bottle this, they did just go straight to Guerrero in the match. One thing I like about Guerrero at the interesting discussion point is that even from watching this one match, Guerrero seems to do a lot of things that I certainly didn't expect. There were times where I thought, okay, he's just done that, he's going to do this, and then he changed directions. So I thought that was quite good. Very good match, but I thought in terms of how it was put together, uh, left a lot to be desired, but that's certainly not unique to this match in ECW. Come on, Bob, you've been moaning about walking brawls. You get a bit of wrestling, a golden nugget of wrestling, and you moan about it. You say it's not that good. Come on, Bob. But it, very good, but with flaws. Chris, defend this match. This was the highlight of the month, and arguably the second match of the year. Go on, I son. That Benoit and Al Snow match from, last, uh, from Double Tables. This had everything. It had high flying, it had chain wrestling, great counters out of moves. Just, and it even had some action outside the ring for the hardcore types. You know, we, we got some whips into the barrier just to sort of please the hardcores are there in the, in the crowd. This is everything that I love about wrestling. We had two guys that can actually wrestle, don't need any bells and whistles, and put on a clinic of showing A, what Scorpio can do and what's great about him and secondly Guerrero showing a mix of what Lucha is and the fact that he can mix that Lucha with American style so well that I, I want to see more could, could so we what we're going to all of this so what we're going to see next, Chris, we've built up the crowd, we've seen this title change we've got the brilliant wrestling match, how do we follow up, we've got Ian Rotten Axel Rotten pretty much 
anything goes. It's bad. I don't know, well, 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 just, I, I, is anyone going to address my criticisms of this match? Because I have to. Well, for, for one, Chris, if you like this match, I know you guys haven't seen the Guerrero Malenko match yet. Assuming that airs next month, that will be very good. I've seen that. That that I thought was significantly better than this, or certainly better. Um, but is anyone going to tell what you think of that point I made? Because because so, I, I, I don't dispute what you guys say about it was a very good match. Although, again, I think Guerrero had a far better match with Dimalenko later in the month. But I don't think... For me, that's an issue in the sense that, you know, if you want to have Guerrero go over, fine. Don't have two cold Scorpio go two cold Scorpio go to the top rope twice and not win the match. I mean, Guerrero did it once and he didn't get it done with the the frog splash either. Um, but yeah, for me that was a a, a problem a, a, and it's not unique in terms of to this match. They've done it a few times this year. To to go with what you're saying there, Bob, I can see what you're saying that it it does sort of go. You've done these two, and they would normally be a normal person. Why are they not good here? Um, it, is, it is something that is a little bit of of what happens when you get the lighter weight people. They do try and sort of show off the flashier moves. Um, two Scorpio's not small. He is very good for his size, but he is not a small guy. And I don't think Eddie is either. Um, I mean, neither of these guys are Sabu. Yeah. They're, they're not, you know, what you would expect to see in the WWE is the land of the giants. You know, they're not, they're not that size. They're not the size, the, the three hundred pounders that you'd, you'd see elsewhere. They are a lighter, smaller guys than what you see in in the other two, the big boys. Um, I I can see, I can say, I can see what you're saying about the fact doing the two two moves should have been. Enough that would have got a win. Um, dramatic effect, maybe, is is why we do this. Um, oh yeah, maybe. I mean, certainly they. Well, I mean, there was the weird thing where, like, Joey Styles called Eddie Guerrero kicking out of the tumbleweed, where, as Dell, I think you said in your TV review, uh, in your match review, sorry, fairly clear that it looked like Two Cold Scorpio pulled out. But it's yep. difficult to work out why he pulled out, given that that should have been the final move. Plus, he was already carrying that injury going in as well. Doesn't really make a lot of sense for him to prolong a match. Yeah, the, see, the, these are the like, I can appreciate the artistry of this match, but these are the things that knocked it down a peg or two for me. Don't any, any, anything to any, any follow up? As much as it pains me, Bob. I love this match. I love the two guys in it. Can't argue with your logic because it makes sound sense. Very few people can ever argue with my logic. And, and, and another wider point about top rope moves this extends beyond ECW is I, I, I don't understand where it became a superplex became a transitional move in wrestling matches, but we, we see them all over the place and I don't get it. It's um, a bit of a worry, isn't it? I mean, we've spoke about it even with pile drivers and DDTs, particularly in WCW last year as well. It's if you're going to follow up with something more impressive, but dare I say, there's not a lot of moves more impressive than these ones. It should really be match enders. You're right. Mm. So next up, we've had a clinic, a wrestling match. How do you follow up? A nice blood feud with the Rottens. We've got Ian going up against Axel. Pretty much anything goes here, and. 
understandably, we're back to the walking brawls. It starts right away. Ian running out for the ring, who's been introduced first. The attacks Axel as he arrives. And again, it's not long before both of them are bleeding. Um, a lot of crowd involvement with us, as we've seen with, with ECW, with the weapons that they've got. We eventually get back into the ring where Ian pile drives Axel onto a steel chair. And when Ian goes to the the top, Axel manages to reverse it. Gets a pretty quick win, and Ian, Ian then has to lose his hair. Bob, I don't know about you, but I have very, very few notes down with this one. Um, well, um, a few more. One, why was it Ian Rutten losing his hair? Bear in mind he was about 70% bald already yep, with a mohawk the down there, the yeah. middle. Um, this was exactly the same as their match two months ago, uh, in the sense that it was just, it was like a violent pub brawl that nobody decided to break up, which I've got no real problem with. Again, like this, this match I don't mind, it's just that, it, it kind of makes the other ones harder to get across when you've got this level of violence in the middle. I almost wouldn't go there with the rest of them. Um, but I will add before you, you, you bring Chris in on this that one, uh, in the Hostile City Showdown match, which we're not going to review, and I don't know whether it has anything when it will appear on TV or not, uh, it does just seem like these two are just hell-bent on having increasingly more violent matches. Um, Axel Rotten comes out with a bin, or as Americans would call it, a garbage can, um, then teases various different weapons related matches including a baseball bat match then a baseball barbed wire bat match yeah. um, and then the crowd pop for that and then he says we're not going to do any of that we're going to do a bad breed death match which was just all of them uh, and Dave Meltzer has been mentioning they may do a Taipei death match now I don't know what a Taipei death match is um, <laughs> but yeah if it's just going to be we're just going to keep having more and more violent matches then you know what more more power to them this is the cut this match I don't mind in this kind of spot but yeah the, the, the head shave thing was a bit weird uh, the match itself was uh, a, a 6 out of 10, well, 7 out of 10 walking type brawl in the sense that it was almost too realistic it, to be entertaining, if that makes sense. In yeah. that they did too good a job in terms of making it look like a proper slugfest. It actually stopped being that good to watch. Well, even on that, that note with the violence, Bob, Chris, just before I come to you, at the end of the match with this head shaving angle, We've got Ian in the ring taking the taking the scissors to Axel's head at the end of it. And as Bob, you say, we've got the, the bin or the trash can getting launched into the ring. It doesn't look like this feud is going anywhere, Bob. I don't know if we're maybe just a bit more desensitised to it. We've watched it in the last couple of months where we've seen the bad breed split up with that, that match a couple of months ago. And then we've pretty much seen these brawls since. Chris, what do you make it this as kind of seeing it? seen it in this show, I mean, was it on double tables, I can't quite remember, was double tables where they split the Rottens? No, uh, before they that. They split then, they split before that, but they had their, their first blood feud match at double tables. So the first one at that point, I mean, what do you make of this, we've just seen those couple of matches, do you think this feud still got legs? If they've got no plan for either of them to come out of it with any character, because it, to me it's just those two just belting the shit out of each other just because they're brothers and have split up. Mm. It's, I mean, I think it's sort of from what I've heard um, from you, it just seems to be even Stephen booking between the two of them, where if one wins one fight, the next one, the other one wins. Um, I, I don't see where they go, obviously, other than obviously getting more and more violent. 
Well, that's it. I mean, I think at the minute, the way that we see that they're gone, I think we're going to need a revisit to Paul Bearer's funeral parlour to try and end this one with the, the looks of it. Is that, is that the end game? Is that we're going to get out of this feud? Is one of them is dead? Well, maybe. I mean, I, I, uh, I'm inclined to say, Chris, I think you're right in the sense that I think these two are more valuable facing each other or as a tag team than they probably would be in any kind of single suit with anyone else. So to a, <clears throat> to a point, just keep going. Like if they want to, if they want to do it, just keep going. Like it almost doesn't matter. Just make it a regular part of ECW house shows is that you get to see Axel Neil, and Rotten beat the crap out of each other and just do it night after night after night, show after show after show. You select what you want for TV so you don't use them all. And that's the gimmick is we just keep doing Axel Neil, and Rotten. I think that's the best way out of it versus just because the feud becomes quite insignificant if it ends next month. But if these two just go for six months and just keep varying up how they can beat the living crap out of each other, it starts to become noteworthy just because it's different. That might be a way around it, but that would be a rather maverick solution. At the same time, though, Bob, looking back to Faulty Towers, can you see Basil Faulty doing the the frog march every episode of that one? Um, I think it would get old kind of quick. Uh, not if not if the frog march involved a barbed wire baseball bat, and then the following week it involves like scissors. Like, you, you, keep, you couldn't keep doing the same match, but as I say, point one, don't put every one of them on TV. In fact, I would, I'd be inclined to say almost don't put any of them on TV, um, mm. or, 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 or infrequently, and just have it as a house show attraction and do it like that. And two, change up what you do each time. Um, it, it does, maybe, maybe the gimmick match right at the very end, in like six months time, is a straight up wrestling match. Disqualification counts, they can't leave the ring. Maybe that's how you end it. Like catch almost front. Can. Yeah. That's that's the end of it. Like a mat wrestling match to finish. <laughs> Sixty minute time limit. Any, yeah. But I won't go that falls. far. You, no, you, you you want to be able to cut it off if it's not very good and it probably well, wouldn't be. But, but yeah. say there wouldn't it be wouldn't it be enough, Bob? Well, alright, fair enough. But yeah, like if <laughs> To, to me, to ma- this this at the moment isn't going to go anywhere if you cut it off next month. It starts to become significant if they're still going in September. That was an impressive amount of time that we spent in that one. But but moving on, we've got Hack Myers, the Shaman, ECW. He's going up against Dino Sendoff. Shah, Hack Myers, he's over as ever. Dino, not so much. Um, Myers rakes the eyes earlier on for some clubbing, clubbing arms and headbutts into the, the match, just showing that ECW can do extreme within the ropes. Um, the crowd continue to do their Shah chants every time Hack gets in a bit of offence. Dino really struggling to keep up with Hack at all, a really slow run to the turnbuckle. Hack gets rammed into the, the ring post on the outside. Dino works over his shoulder. The crowd really are getting hot at, at Dino send off at this point, but they are getting a little bit a little bit restless. Myers, ever the professional, manages to sense the crowd restlessness, hits a brain buster, gets the win, the match is over. Not really much to talk about here, boys, don't know about you. It was death once send-off got on the offence. Yeah. So, moving on, got better stuff coming up for ECW. We're now heading into the semi-main. We cut two women. She's standing at ringside with a cane and Sandman with a cigarette as Metallica blares over the house sound system. Get a nice sign from, well, sign guy um, calling Sandman a modern-day caner. Back to the 80s and its successes, 
in the extremity of the 90s. Douglas, ever the wrestler, no frills entrance, goes straight for Sandman. So, semi-main, world championship match, we get a champion, Shane Douglas, up against the Sandman. Douglas just kind of showing his nose really early on, got a beautiful vertical suplex, hits Sandman. Sandman then tries to get a modified cross-face chitting wing, and he asks women to slap the franchise who's not submitting, but she won't even after asking twice. So, woman goes to the back, gets the Singapore cane that has been thrown out by Todd Gordon at the start of the match at the request of Shane Douglas. He gets a shoulder breaker, standing pile driver. Sandman looks to have the match won at this point, but at this point, woman tosses the cane into the ring, not to Sandman, but to Shane Douglas, who gets a low blow, pins the Sandman and retains Woman and, uh, woman and Douglas embrace at the end. Sandman is left laying, obviously with another cigarette. And it looks as if we've got a new partnership. Chris, we've got the woman and we've got Shane Douglas. Think it's going to last? It, you know, she finally got her man and it can last as long as she feels it needs to. It, she seems to be a reliable type. Yeah, he is. You know, he's definitely going to be getting the wins. And she gets what she wanted, which was to have the champion with him. Bob, would you make it a story? Um, very difficult to analyse like this part of the chapter, given that we, we we've seen what's coming you know, next. It's quite. My, my main point, what well, one was that they they only aired kind of clips of this match even on the tape, so I don't know. Uh, admittedly, I don't think we miss much, but for yep. what that's worth, um, I don't quite get given the position Sam Man was in. Given that he was about to win the match, why did they bother? If the whole idea was the following week that they were just going to turn back on Shane anyway. I mean, look, from a storyline standpoint, in terms of from a booking standpoint, right, you want to set up a rematch. But Samman was going to win that match. Like, he had that match yep. won. And, and why, other than just for the sake of just turning on Douglas, why would you bother? I'm going to beat you, Shane Douglas. Then I'm going to beat woman like the bitch that she is. What a drag. I remember taking Sandman for a ride. I remember that. I remember... These long fingernails up and down my back, caressing the franchise after a victory. I remember that. After the lights went out, the only thing I remember is fireworks! <laughs> you see something, Sandman? I've said it once and a thousand times, and you've simply become the latest victim of my rhetoric. That you... And many others like you haven't got what it takes to take what I got. And it's called the Extreme Championship Wrestling's World Heavyweight Belt. You see, I'm addicted to the gold, my friend. It's something I'm not giving up easy. You see, you got people standing in line someplace waiting for Big Brother to hand them something that they ain't got the right to deserve. But what I hold over my shoulder, I deserve. What I hold right here and what's right here at arm's length is mine because I earned it. I earned it with blood, sweat, and tears. I earned it by kicking people like your ass. Hey, 
man. Get that camera out of my face. I don't want my wife to see this. The franchise has been able to buy himself things in this world that when I was a poor little boy in the project, couldn't even dream of. And it's not about time for me to say, here it is. I'm throwing it away because my bank account's full and because my body's worn out from after matches. <laughs> oh, no, it's not. <laughs> Keep that a secret. Oh, why? Sandman, real simple. This Saturday night in ECW Arena, I shut your mouth once and for all. You go out and you brag about whooping on a woman saying I punched my wife right in the face on national TV. <laughs> a big man tried to do it to me this Saturday night. And what you'll find out is that the franchise is going to take this and shove it so far up your rear end that you're going to choke on it. You see, because when you start talking about kicking people up and beating people down and talking about women and talking about your wife and what a big tough man you are by swinging that stick, what you're talking about is my game. Inside the squared circle, I'm the lion. It's my jungle, and you're nothing more than prey. <laughs> Sandman, you don't scare me. You make all the idle threats that you want to, but you just remember one thing. I was around you when you were vulnerable, when you had nothing, and I was the one who rose you and brought you to where you were. You are nothing without me. And you always will be. I was the brains. I was the power. And that celebrated the second night was there, Bob. You're right, but obviously we'll be coming to the the happenings of the Hostel City, the Hostel City showdown. So we'll not take any much longer on on Shane and Sandman until later in the show. And it's now time for the main event, three way dance. We've got the Public Enemy out first, crowd dancing for them. Rocco and Johnny actually go into the crowd and give quite literally their biggest fan a public enemy shirt um, thankfully the the hard cam doesn't really zoom in too much to show Big Vin's rather impressive man boobs I thought um, we've got Benoit, Chris Benoit and Malenko then came out the champions, they're up with the gold they start on the, the public enemy before Paul E's pair even come out but again to a hero's welcome we've got the Tasmaniac and Rick Steiner they come out, take charge as the crowd actually start barking for Steiner um, Taz suplexes Benoit leaves him to Rick Steiner Benoit then takes a clothesline and a turnbuckle bulldog for Steiner who admittedly looks pretty good um, Steiner lays out Rocco Rock with a baiting tray then just shows his genuine mad side with hitting himself with it for good measure um, on the outside we've got Benoit ramming Taz Maniac into the post Steiner hits Rocco with a sit down tombstone We've got the first near fall of the match. So the champions then double-team Taz. They've got a chair with him. And Rocco tag-teams Benoit on his own, but with two, not one, but two frying pans. Taz then takes out Johnny Grunge before he can get to him with a lunchbox. And the enemy takes Diner into the crowd. And the champions both work over Taz. Benoit goes to the top. Malenko holds Taz in place. Benoit has his flying headbutt. Malenko gets the pin. And the first pin forward of match is there. Obviously, for anyone that doesn't know, three-way dance is basically an elimination match. So we're down to two teams. Taz and Steiner need to leave the ring. But, obviously, they don't. And they hit tandem suplexes to the public enemy that almost end in disaster. I mean, the two of them, Clyde and Madea, could end tragically. But luckily, we managed to get out of it without any injuries. 
Todd Gordon's uh, commissioner of the company tries to get dangerously to take his take his men away pretty unsuccessful again. The champions continue to dominate Johnny and Rocco. Steiner takes Paulie's phone from him, lays out all four of them as Taz holds them back. Two of them stand strong. Paulie gets the phone back, hammers a security guard for good measure, and the Dangerous Alliance leaves. So, back in the ring, we've got Dean Malenko, he busts um, Johnny Grunge open. Benoit beats on Rocco Rock. Johnny then gets a low blow into Malenko, gets a bit of an upper hand, and it's almost like a Vader bomb that he hits Dean Malenko with for a two count. Rocco gets the best of Benoit. The enemy take command with a steel chair for company. Rocco chokes out Benoit with a wooden crutch, and Johnny Grunge chokes out Malenko in the ring with a cable flex. Um, Benoit and Rocco make their way up to the soundstage. Crippler's laid out on the, laid out on the table that was seen earlier on up at the Eagle's Nest. Rocco tries his spinning senton from the top. Benoit moves. Table explodes. Um, Benoit gets back to the ring. Throws out Johnny. Malenko then hits a brain buster on Rocco, who's managed to get his way back to the ring. Table gets brought into the ring then. Benoit superplexes Rocco. Flyboy gets through another table. Malenko then mocks Sabu. Again, the crowd jeer for him for his no-show. Mocks his point-up pose. Benoit and Malenko offer each other the pins to grunge. Bit of a delay costs him. Johnny kicks out. Just coming up to the end of the match, we've got a double DDT from Johnny out of nowhere. Rocco Rock, miraculously, he's alive, gets to the top, nails his roll and sent on to Malenko, and the public enemy are your new ECW Tag Team Champions. Bob, what did we make of this main event? Um, pretty good. Uh, I, yeah, I, I go back to what I said at the start, and who knows how this match would have played out had Sabu been involved. Yeah. Um, I think they did the logical thing, which was just to get rid of Taz and Rick Steiner pretty early on, uh, given that yeah, they, 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 I think they had to do that. And, um, but I, this match, in a weird kind of way, this match got really good when they were just in the ring. I think as much as we're reviewing a, a house show main event that probably won't appear on TV, um, and as much as I should probably say the stuff in the crowd is probably far more entertaining for the crowd than it is for the live viewer, yeah. The story of the match got very good once they were in the ring at the back end of the match. And I just wonder whether they, you know, again, it's tricky in the sense that we're talking about a house show match. And because of all I know, the crowd went away loving the whole thing. It's like, well, they're coming to the crowd all this, all the time. I think this match from a, a viewing perspective actually suffered from it a bit. And once they got back in the ring, it, it, it did do that. Um, but it was a very good match um, front to back in terms of they all got their own little moments. And, yeah, the right team won. I think that's the other thing to say about it as well. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's maybe an issue that ECW's got quite a lot as well. When we've seen the Axel, Axel and Rotten, we've seen pretty much Walton Brawls and, and really 90% of the matches in the card. I think it does suffer when you're then relying on that for big portions of the main event and the viewers have already seen it. It's, it's a case where you're maybe there live Oh, they're away over the other side of the, the other side of the crowd. I can't, I can't really see what's happening. But then the main event, they walk by you and you see them and it's amazing and the crowd's going mental. Maybe a good thing. Chris, how did you think it transferred to TV? It's a bit of a struggle to watch it at times because, uh, you've obviously got the static, the static camera as, as sort of giving you the wide angle, but with, I found it with like six of them in the ring. It was a bit hard to follow. But it actually seemed to get worse when it went down to the four teams. 
the four guys, I mean, um, that it seemed to be harder to follow for what was going on. When you had Benoit and one of them over one side, Malinko and the other over the other side, and you couldn't really see who was doing what. Um, it, it's something that, with how ECW do a lot of their things with it, as you're saying, in the live atmosphere, they've come past me, they've taken my sign, they've taken my frying pan. It's it's great for the for the crowd there. Mm-hmm. It, it really doesn't help with watching it. But seeing Rick Steiner um, taking people down to Suplex City, it was great to see him back again, just throwing people around. And he still looks good. And still being crazy and hitting himself. It's one of the things, <laughs> you know, from, from late 80s Steiner, where, you know, he'd get turnbuckled, then start headbutting it himself, hitting people with weapons, and then hitting himself with them. It's fine. Just channeling his inner George Steele. Um, <laughs> what, what about the show overall, Chris? What did you make of the show in a rating, please? It, not as good as Double Tables was. Right. Um, I think Double Tables helped by having a, a couple of wrestling matches, not just the one wrestling clinic. Um, but it was a, a solid show. you know. Um, obviously, the standout match being Too Cold and Eddie Guerrero. But good mix of brawls and squash matches. As a live event, as you say, it's not designed as a TV experience. It's more designed for, an, for a Friday or Saturday night out. Yeah. I'd give it a 6 out of 10. You know, I'd be happy if I was in the crowd. First shout. Bob, what about your thoughts overall rating for the show? Yeah, very similar to Chris. Um, I think if you went there as a, a Saturday night out, I think you'd have got your money's worth. Didn't fully translate the TV. I think there were still some clunky moments, regardless of whether you're watching it at the ECW Arena or at home. Um, positives from this show, the, the, the match string too cold and Eddie Guerrero was very good. I mean, I, I picked what I think is some very fair logic holes in it, but in terms of what they did, it was excellently done, and both guys deserve a lot of credit for that. Uh, angles were built well. Who knows what would have been in the main event had Sabu been there. I think Rick Steiner was a fantastic replacement on such short notice. Five out of ten. Five and a six. I'm actually going to go with a six as well, but the match between Too Cold and Guerrero just pushes it to a seven for me. So we're all kind of sitting around about the, the middle eight, as you say, some good stuff in there with regards to the storylines, but also the clunky side of it as well. Didn't really translate to TV as well as it maybe would have been experienced live. For me, a bit heavy on the brawling. As you say, the matches tended to get better whenever they were back in the ring. Probably as a bit of a novelty. We would maybe look at the big national companies and say they could maybe be doing a bit more brawling and it's too much in the ring. ECW have a bit of a, a bit of a penchant for kind of being the other side of that coin, just a little bit too crowd focused at sometimes, but a company in their position, you can understand them catering to a live crowd more than the, the TV audience, bearing in mind where their money comes from. So I would give it six overall, but I would push it to a seven just for that TV title match. You're watching Extreme Championship Wrestling. This is Joey Styles at the ECW Arena, joined by the Sandman and Woman, standing by with comments regarding the World Heavyweight Champion, the franchise, Shane Douglas. You called yourself an historian, Shane Douglas. 
I'll give you a little history lesson. You see, you've made mistakes, Shane Douglas. 19th century, Napoleon. You see, he wanted to conquer the world just like you've conquered the world of professional wrestling. He wanted to conquer the world. He made a mistake. He opened up a second front. You know what happened in Napoleon, don't you? Hitler, mid-20th century, he tried to control the world, to conquer the world, just like you've conquered the world of professional wrestling, Shane Douglas. He made the mistake. He opened up another front. Late-20th century, Shane Douglas, you've conquered ECW. You've conquered the world. Just like you opened up the wound on my head, Shane, you opened up another front. You are doomed to repeat history's failure, Shane Douglas. You think you can beat me more than the beatings I've already received at ECW? I don't think that's the point. You think you can withstand a beating only with what the likes of the Sandman's going to give to you? Again, I think you're missing the point. You had the chance, Shane Douglas. You could have put us on payroll. But no, you think you're so hot. You want to see how politically incorrect I can be? You think you're hot? I'm going to take your temperature. Uh, one minute. You know, Joseph, he could have come with me. He could have come with me. When I controlled the four horsemen, they did every little thing I told them to. And you know, I could have raised the triple threat to heights that they could have never fantasized about. How smart can the story be if he didn't want to come with me? So after we've had the three-way dance carrying on with the TV review for the rest of April, we sat at the 11th of the month. And we've got an opening from Todd Gordon, ECW Commissioner, and he's announcing to the television audience the immediate indefinite suspension of Sabu. Again, as mentioned earlier, this is for the no-show at the three-way dance event. And we continue to build to Hostel City Showdown, which will have notable events happening in a second. So, after the three-way dance, we're then back to the TV review for the rest of the month, for on the 11th, and we open up with Todd Gordon. He's announcing the immediate and definite suspension to Sabu for his no-show at the three-way dance. We then continue a build to this weekend's coming up, Hostel City Showdown. A couple of very notable events in that that we will be coming on to later in the show. So, we've got another Shane Douglas and Sandman recap before the Hostel City Showdown. And we then get highlights of their match. Um, big fight feel for this one. We've got Sandman watching a cane with no sign of relinquishing it. And Women and Douglas, their, their partnership seems to be continuing to introduce the notable heat from the crowd. Um, Sandman attacks him. Douglas manages to get the best of him earlier on. Hits the, the couple of shots and the cane drops. Douglas showing his in-ring ability, but Sandman takes it to the outside for a brawl. We've got Franchise folding Sandman over the barrier, but the challenger gets a chair for the crowd. Douglas scurries under the ring. So just with Sandman and woman, Sandman then stalks her around the ring with a chair. But Douglas comes back out, topes over the ropes, but Sandman manages to hit him on a slam to the concrete and rolls the champion back in. Douglas out of the game, Sandman goes to the top rope, tries his leg drop, slightly distracted by women on the outside, and then misses the move. 
franchise then gets Sandman into the ring post and locks in a cross-faced chicken wing in the corner. Sandman seems to be beginning to struggle at this point. Douglas seems to be getting him in the way of either passing out or tapping out. But then Woman takes a cane, takes out Douglas's legs with it. On that move, Shane Douglas falls back. Sandman collapses on top of him. Referee counts one, two, three. We have a new ECW World Heavyweight Champion. And the crowd are then chanting with respect to Shane Douglas and his previous chants in reference to... Um, Rick Flair, where Flair is dead, the crowd then chant, Shane is dead. But Douglas, being Douglas, he grabs a Monday Night Raw t-shirt, puts it on, tells the crowd in the house mate to kiss his ass, and leaves the building. And on the April 25th episode of Hardcore TV, we've got a quick match with Mikey Whipwreck and Steve Richards. Raven's deputies basically try to prove himself, but Mikey gets the win with Frankensteiner before Raven then starts attacking Mikey. Hack Myers comes out to try and make the save, but that's just before the Pitbulls come out. The enemy come out to attack them, and Johnny and Rocco stand tall in the segment. We've then got Styles, Joey Styles, announcing the first defence of Sandman recently won ECW title. That's going to be against Cactus Jack. Got me to thinking. It got me to thinking about Guns N' Roses. You see, I'm not the greatest Guns N' Roses fan in the world. As a matter of fact, I kind of lost touch with them a little bit when Axel wore the Charlie Manson t-shirt on the video. But that doesn't stop me from liking some of their tunes. And it got me thinking, now, in the world of music, big-time music, just like in the world of big-time professional wrestling, there's only so many top spots. And once you grab hold of one of those spots, you don't let go. So why would a guy like Easy Stradlin, who had it made, the girls, the different countries, the platinum records, why would he jump ship to live the rest of his musical career in obscurity? Why? Well, maybe Axl Rose was a Maybe Izzy couldn't stand the ground he walked on. Maybe the very sight of Axel in his pompous ways made him sick to his stomach, made him feeling up like throwing up all over Axel's cowboy shoes. And so away he went. And I can familiarize, because Terry Funk, how does this apply to me? How does it apply to you? And how does it apply to April 15th? Well, hello, Axel. This is Izzy Stradlin. But I'm not jumping ship. See, I'm not leaving ECW, and I'm not going to live the rest of my life in obscurity. I'm going to outsing you. And I called up my mom. You see, any time I had a problem, no, no, it used to be when I had a problem, I called Terry Funk. But now I can't stand the ground that his miserable, shaking knees walk on. And so I said, Mommy, Mommy, what can I do? There's a man out there, Terry Funk, who's done more in this sport than I'll ever do who's more of a role model than I'll ever be. And I've got a match April 15th, and I've got serious doubts. He burned me, Mommy. He burned me bad. And then he piled drove your little boy on a flaming branding iron. What can I do? And she said, Mickey, do you remember the little story about the little engine who could? I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. And I said, Mom, I hate that story. Tell me a different story, Mommy. Tell me about this psychotic, evil man who was piled driven on a flaming branding iron by an even more psychotic, even more evil man. 
And she got this worried look in her eyes like she didn't know what had gone wrong down the birth canal. And she said, well, son, that's not in our Disney book of stories. And I said, mommy, don't you understand? This isn't Disney World. And this isn't MGM. It's ECW. We're only the top survive. And Terry Funk, you're one of the toughest. But I'm Cactus Jack. And in my book, that still means a little something. So I'll be coming after you in the intimate confines of my own. The ECW Arena, Terry Funk. I'm going to put you out. And I'm going to tell that story to my children. Bang, bang. And last match review of the month, we've got the Raven going up against Tommy Dreamer. It's not pretty, it's not athletic, it's just an absolute bloody walk-in brawl. Um, we get to the sound stage again, not a first time for this month, but we get a vertical suplex to the Raven on the concrete as blood is just streaming from Tommy Dreamer. Tommy hits the Raven with quite literally a kitchen sink, and we're back to ringside. Raven gets a chair, blasts Tommy Dreamer. Tommy locks in a sleeper as they both tumble to the outside, and then Dreamer low blows Raven with a toy dinosaur, and then, again, quite literally, cracks a dozen eggs over him for good measure. Get back into the ring. Tommy gets DDT'd as Raven basks in the fans' hatred. It's a second DDT. Still doesn't go for a pin, and as myself and Bob spoke about earlier, a third DDT, and Tommy Dreamer kicks out. Gets to the outside, Tommy reverses, um, sorry, Raven reverses a DDT to the concrete floor, and Raven gets rolled back into the ring. Tommy's going to get his one. One, two, Steve Richards interferes. Richards comes in, Tommy manages to get a DDT on him, he then DDTs the ref, meaning Raven gets the win via disqualification, and with Raven still down after that DDT in the concrete, we get young Bula McGillicutty coming into the ring. Tommy stops and he steps, looks at her, gets her up, shows her to the crowd, picks her up for a pile driver, miniskirt and thong and all, and pile drives her in the middle of the ring. And then Tommy escapes into the crowd who embrace their hero. Bob, what do you want to start with? A lot of oh, angles just- there. Just to fill in a couple of small but noteworthy things you missed there. First of all was that Beulah did start weakly attacking Dreamer, so it wasn't true. just turn on her straight away. Uh, secondly was that Dreamer did do uh, a Raven-style pose, uh, which the crowd popped for as well. Um, really effective angle. They've done such a good job with Dreamer in terms of he's kind of turning into the folk hero here Yeah. Um, in terms of... You know, they told the story with the pretty boy. I like the fact he's changed his ring gear now. That's a that's a big plus. But this mm. is just a really good angle that it's like, well, you know, Dreamer's not winning in terms of literally the matches, but he's doing really well here and he's quickly turning into a crowd favourite. Chris, what do you make of this evolution? I think that it goes from you know the the heartthrob Tommy Dreamer to what would probably be seen as a hardcore extreme icon. You know, he he is their guy. He seems to be the crowd's the crowd's pick. He's hardcore. He's as hardcore. they're getting behind of. And whenever you have a match where you know they're beating each other up with toy dinosaurs, it's <laughs> clearly awesome. Um, just a quick note on the match. I thought this was much better than the the match at. Uh, freeway dance, uh, dance between the two of them. 
this, you, this you're going to enjoy the do. fact that having watched both shows, I think most of Hostile City Showdown was better than the equivalent version of uh, of Three Way Dance. Not without exceptions, I think the, the, the Douglas title match was certainly better than the second one. But yeah, I think in terms of the, you know the match was probably a bit more punchy, the angles were better, and the weapons were a lot more wild, which is credit to the crowd. I, I have never in my life envisioned a dozen eggs getting involved in a wrestling match, <laughs> but hey, only in ECW. And we finally got the kitchen sink. We, we've peaked. We have peaked. That's it. Yeah, what, 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 more do you, what more can you get at a wrestling match than literally the kitchen sink, Del? Yep, and the last one that I want to talk about when we're talking about weapons, we're talking about being extreme, ECW, we must talk about the match that aired on TV this month, Bob, and it was between Terry Funk and Cactus Jack. Um, in there on TV this month. Is it not aired yet? I do apologise. I don't, I, don't, I don't think it's going to air at all. That was why I kind of... Well, dare I say, yeah, I mean, you would need, you would need quite a lot of... Quite a lot of censorship bylaws, I think, to get to get this one in TV. It must have been in home video that I've that I've caught it. I believe it was the main event of Hostel City Showdown, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. That's that. Um, if you take a whining, whimpering, crying, sobbing fool and mate that with a slutty, doggy looking whore what you are going to produce is a whining sloppy degenerate of a child I'm talking about your family cactus jack you see I am trying to make you as mad as possible because I realize that you're short on one thing what you are short of is certainly not your stomach size, but you are short on guts and heart. I want to say everything that I possibly can to make you as mad, to make you as furious, and to make you a formidable opponent for myself. You see, I think you are nothing but a filthy, sloppy puke that doesn't have a bit of wrestling ability because I am the man that has been around longer than any other professional wrestler. There's only one Terry Funk. There's only one Windmillion, 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 Windmillion. Wind milling, pile driving, neck breaking, back breaking, bear hugging, wrist locking, knee dropping, toe holding, son of a gun. And you can't even walk in my footsteps. Believe me, I have a family that is a wonderful family. I fight for my family. They are my life. They are my love. They are my breath. They are my heart. I have something to live for. What do you have? A couple of pigs, slop hogs. What else would possibly want to wake up to you in the morning? 
Well, your old lady isn't going to have to look at you after April the 15th. <laughs> You're all mine, Captain. You're all mine. <laughs> we know what these two guys do. Even Terry Funk says it probably best himself at the start of the match where we've got him cutting off the ring announcer. Tells the fans, people know who I am. People know who he is. Let's go. Cactus then responded in the way that only Cactus can. He isn't happy with it being in the ring. He wants a fight in the crowd. Um, the fans are really ravenous at this point, and we actually start this match up at the sound stage. The two of them's battling with chairs. Terry Funk gets up onto the Eagles' nest first, really commanding the the start of this not even a match. The fight Cactus kind of hanging off the the Eagles' nest itself, and then gets a chair thrown at him, which causes him to fall off. Cactus gets the, the chair that was thrown at him, catches Funk with it as he's trying to come down and lays him out on the table. Cactus then goes up, goes for that patented elbow, and takes the table himself after Funk moves. Funk chases Cactus down with a chair. They eventually get back to the ringside. Cactus comes back with a crutch and a frying pan, but Funk locks him up in the guardrail and starts battering at Cactus's knee with that chair. So we get a table, get put into the ring. Jack Irish whips Funk into it twice before Cactus gets hit with the table and he dangles from the top turnbuckle. On the outside, we've got Funk getting choked out with a toilet seat, just in case we hadn't seen enough weapons already. But Cactus then drives him face first into the chair, sets up for the elbow again for the apron, but Funk knees Jack with the chair and throws him down to the concrete. The two brawl round the crowd. Cactus brings a trash can into the ring. But Funk, ever the wily veteran, manages to get a beer bottle from inside the trash can and smashes it in the third attempt over Jack's head, beating Cactus's record last year of seven attempts. Funk does it in three. Now, in case it wasn't violent enough, Funk then takes the smashed bottleneck and starts to brand Cactus Jack on the arm, rips at the flesh, moves on to the chest, moves on to the forehead. Pretty sick stuff so far. We've got Cactus just gushing blood everywhere at this point. Funk's just looking demented, intent on annihilation of Cactus, but God love him. Mikey Whipwreck tries to come out and make a bit of a, a Superman job of it. Hack Myers joins him. Both of them run the ring to help Cactus, but Funk manages to get rid of both of them. Goes back to working Cactus's leg with the chair. Goes for his patented toe hold. But Cactus manages to roll him up. Can he get the win? Nope. Two count. Jack hits his double arm DDT on the chair for the win. But no later is the bell rang. Cactus is your winner, but not for long. The Sandman rushes in. Kane in hand bashes his next opponent for his newly won world title. Sandman then douses Cactus Jack in what seems to be lighter fluid. Funk disappears comes back with his branding iron, which is flaming at this point, starts breathing, fire breathing on the cactus. The two of them near enough set fire to the building. Cactus manages somehow to get the iron. Funk runs for his life. We fade to black. Bob, I want to discuss, as much as I like these two guys, Something I really want to talk about is just the sustainability of ECW in extreme. Can we get more than this? 
do we want more than this? What's your thoughts? There's no way this match is ever going to appear on television. I, uh, yeah. having, having had you go back through it, I, I don't know why I even doubted it. Um, yeah, this is an ultra level of violence that you can't sustain. Um, I mean, I suppose in the set, I mean, uh, no, you can't really sustain it, but I suppose in the sense that it largely by other than the stuff at the start, it was quite a, a safe match from a point of view that they weren't taking many impact moves. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and you can talk about people's bump cards in the sense of, you know, people doing a lot of dangerous stunts, as you might see from, say, the public enemy or Sabu. Well, uh, sorry, this one... sorry to cut you off, Bob, but even looking back at the start of that, that three-way dance, we've seen it with wasn't Tommy and was it Tommy and Raven? I can't quite remember, but it was certainly one spot up at the Eagles Nest where the table was sitting there, but rather than use the table for a bump from the Eagles Nest and onto this concrete soundstage, they disregard the table and they just take the bump onto the concrete, which as you say, there wasn't a lot in this match, but it's just these type of things that you get in ECW that just make you get you invested as a fan but just make you worry long term about which essentially still human beings. Does it not come back to what Paul Heyman said at the start of the three-way dance, which is, you know, I can't guarantee you a good show, I can't guarantee you anything. You'll, you'll hear this full quote in the, in the wrap-up in a bit. Um, but I can guarantee you that the guys here are going to work their asses off, paraphrasing, um, mm. to entertain you. And does it not come back to that? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, like, maybe it isn't sustainable, but, you know, I'm not responsible for, for Cactus Jack's well-being. Like, if he wants to do it, good luck to him. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know, but this match was brutal in, in every sense of the word. Um, both guys worked incredibly hard. The beer bottle wasn't gimmicked, uh, nor would I expect it to be. Um, and, and yeah, they, they went to the end of the earth for this. I don't think you can go a lot further. As you say, they didn't quite set the arena on fire, but they were close. Um, I don't know how much further you can go. And, but yeah, that Cactus Jack and Terry Funk want to sell some shots in Japan and they've got some shots to sell and for them it's job done Chris what do you think it, it was borderline a little bit too much you know the, trying to carve into someone with a broken beer bottle and then try to set someone on fire and especially when they were sort of flailing it around outside you know it, it it's a little bit on the sort of on the line there of being a little bit too extreme, you know. I'm I'm all for someone getting some chair shots and such, but I don't want to be seeing someone getting burnt alive, or you know, getting their throat slit by a beer bottle. It it's it's at the point where it's a little bit too real, and it, it's not wrestling and entertainment. It's it's you know a bad Saturday night in the pub going all a bit wrong. Uh, it, it's kind of like it, a nightmare in 3D, and it? it's just coming to life in a bit of a really uncomfortable, uncomfortable way, but thankfully we can report Terry Funk, still alive, Cactus Jack, still alive, how long, we don't quite know, but they are still both breathing at this present time. Um, something else that we need to, we need to touch on Gentlemen, um, this World Championship, ECW World Title situation. Chris, I'm going to start with you. Sandman is the new champion. First of all, 
give me your quick thoughts on the rainy Shane Douglas and what do you think it meant for him in that belt? I think having Shane as the champion that he was and the matches that he had, it has brought exposure to the company as, you know, it's not just the ultra violence. You know, we yeah. do have wrestling. We do have uh, pro wrestling here where, you know, you are going to get good matches and the belt has been held to a high standard with, you know, what I've seen of Shane's matches, I've not seen a bad Shane Douglas match. Sandman. Is it time? Is it time for him to move on? Maybe. Sandman is ECW. He is one of the homegrown boys. You know, he also if if you say Shane Douglas sort of excludes what ECW is by being the wrestling side, Sandman is of being the hardcore walking brawler. You know, both of which are staples of what has been a great year or so for ECW since its inception. Mm-hmm. Having Sandman there shows that we will trust one of our own. Yeah. You know, it, it's one of those of, I could quite easily see a Tommy Dreamer getting the title as well as the same sort of level of trusting our own. We have made him, he is our star. Watch him flourish. Bob, I would ask you the same questions. One of my highlights of the month, which maybe just kind of harks back to the great fan that I was of what was formerly the franchise of ECW, Shane Douglas could perhaps still be. It's in the hands of his representatives at the minute, as per a a TV standpoint. Um, One of my highlights was definitely that that package that aired, I think it was the last week week of the month in Hardcore TV, but it was basically just a five-minute swan song for Shane Douglas at the Tina Turner's simply the best. What did you make of Douglas as a champion? Where do you, where do you see him going? Um, his run was very good. Uh, well, Chris said he didn't see a bad Shane Douglas match. One, he didn't see the match with Tully Blanchard, uh, yeah. Blanchard that went 40-odd <laughs> minutes that was apparently the worst thing to ever come out of the ECW arena. Not that we ever saw that match either. Um, While I didn't see a bad Shane Douglas match, I didn't see that many very good Shane Douglas matches. Um, And often it felt like that was by design, which I found a bit strange. That being said, um, his promos were phenomenal. They still are. Um, And I I think he, he did more for the belt going forward than he did for almost himself or for the company at the time and a lot of the most significant moments of the last year and a half he's been involved with I go back to um, the original three-way dance which was him Funk and Sabu uh, the bit that led up to that no sorry the bit that followed that with him and Terry Funk which is one of the, the best conference. Yep. segments we've ever covered um, and then the bit obviously with throwing the belt down all that um, that was very good the wrap up they did was very good Um on the subject of Sabu, I mean, you asked me about, uh, sorry, Sandman, you asked me about Sandman last month, and I said I think it would be a mistake having him as world champion. I still think it's a mistake uh, for all the reasons I listed last month. But the one thing they did at the end of this month after the, the Douglas thing was they had a series of 
interview clips from a bunch of guys from Heyman to Mikey Whitrek to Hack Myers to Cactus Jack to all of these guys on the subject of Sandman being world champion and to a man they all said this guy's <laughs> not going to last and I yeah. thought that was really effective in the sense that while they almost kind of fronted up to the idea that yeah this guy's world champion but he's not a world champion level which is kind of what we're all thinking but two it also kind of put in my mind that you need to watch every Sandman World title match because he's probably going to lose it very quickly. Now, whether he does or not is a different story, but that was the story they told. Um, I, I'm still where I'm at with Sandman in that I still think it's an error. Um, but I think short term they've got some very interesting television, but I'd be surprised if he's still champion in three months. Give it that long, Bob? Um... I don't know, he loses it next week, I don't know. But I'd be, I'd be... It's one of these things, as you see. I mean, it's, it's who does he lose it up. to? Aren't we, in, aren't we in the same problem we were in last month when we were talking about the next champion? Exactly, when we were talking who it could be. I mean, you look at what Terry Funk would bring here. We've obviously lost Shane Douglas. There's nobody else really in that, in that company with that proven track record to carry in a... Not even just carrying a belt, but carrying a company almost as well. So I mean, but but equally, you can make a lot of money off the story long run of this guy isn't of a world champion level, but how can he keep on retaining his title? But equally, that's the thing that that would generally say would lead itself to a lot of very nefarious finishes. And if Heyman is as hey people are saying he is and he doesn't want to build a company on a lot of screwy finishes the question then becomes how do you do that without breaking that mantra it's going to be interesting to watch one way or another as i say the long story short is i like the fact that they've got even people like mike whitrat saying i could beat this guy i'm not first in line but i can win it and you're thinking okay everyone's a challenger for sandman all of a sudden it's like you know anything's possible so there is that positive but i still think it was a mistake anything else that we've missed bob or is that us i think can it sabu sabu cool anything like the the big story of the month like the biggest thing (laughs) of the entire show i know we've left it to the end just because i want to discuss it but is there anything else we've missed yes no shit a certain person decided not to turn up Yes, uh, we, we've left it the entire show, and as it incidentally is a quite a good hook for people to listen all the way through, and you come to me, I might leave that in. Is there anything <laughs> else we've missed? Yes. Sabu's working relationship with ECW as good as ended this month after he no-showed their April the 8th three-way dance event in Philadelphia because he was double-booked on a New Japan show the same day. He was due to team with Taz in the main event against the Public Enemy and the team of Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko. His place was taken by Rick Steiner. ECW had been building this feud for months and Sabu was really the key connection between the three teams, having long-term beats with both Flybo Rocco Rock and Chris Benoit. Due to the logistics of trying to get all six men in the same place at the same time, the April 8th date was only decided on after Benoit couldn't make the following week due to his own commitments in Japan. Sabu accepted the date but was subsequently offered a New Japan show the same day. Due to the time differences between the two locations, Sabu, perhaps fancifully, believed that he would be able to make both dates. 
in the lead up to the event, Heyman asked Sabu on more than one occasion whether he could make the date. Heyman would later claim that Sabu said, quote, I swear to God I'll be there. This part specifically, Sabu denies, but he didn't question that he left Heyman with the impression that he would be there. As the event closed in, Heyman wanted assurance from Sabu that he would be able to make the show so he could confirm the advertising on the final TV show before the event. Clearly, at the time the show was put together, Sabu was still planned to be on it, and it said that Heyman only realised Sabu wasn't going to make the show when he called Sabu's house phone and got an answer phone message saying he was in Japan. For what it's worth, it's believed that even if Sabu made the earliest possible flight from Japan, he'd have arrived in Philadelphia the next morning, too late for the show. As for the show itself, Heyman, 911 and Taz walked out the start in street clothes. Heyman fronted up and told the very real story of how he got here and said that Sabu would be suspended by ECW. He said it would be up to the fans and as and when Sabu would be welcomed back to the ECW arena and that fans would be entitled to a refund if they wanted one. While the fans certainly weren't allowed to develop an anti-Sabu feeling following Heyman's promo, it was in fact a Chris Benoit statement that really stirred things up. In an in-character promo in the ring, Benoit taunted Taz and asked whether he'd be a, quote, pussy, just like his tag team partner was. This sparked further fuck Sabu chants that were loud and repeated for large swathes of the rest of the evening. How do we get here? In short, Sabu's working agreement with is a New Japan first deal. New Japan pay him much more than ECW do, and the schedule enables him to work ECW events in the meantime. The New Japan tie is the main reason Sabu Town turned down working for WCW or the WWF at the end of 1994. It's now said that Sabu is negotiating a different part-time deal with WCW, or he doesn't want to be defined as a cruiserweight. After finding out about the double booking, Sabu was told that if he didn't make the show in Japan, he'd be fired by the company. All the more perplexing was, after all of that, the booking that caused all this was Sabu going to a double countout in the second match on the show in Japan. It said that Sabu accepted that his actions were wrong, but Heyman was more wrong for what he did when he opened the show. He felt there was a way Heyman could have presented it that would have helped him save face. So, last, certainly not least, story of the month, Sabu. Two kind of different ways to look at this. We can look at it for Sabu, the performer, the man. He's committed to New Japan Pro Wrestling. They've offered him a contract, as we've discussed previously in the show. He's been a mainstay the ECW, going back to the three-way dance last year, the original with, with Franchise and Funk for the belt. We've seen him evolve from coming off a gurney, being an uncaged madman. I mean, he's almost got a friend these days in the, the Tasmaniac. We've seen him in these tag matches. That's been built up over months. We build it up in the, the week before the three-way dance with that 20-minute, almost 20-minute package that they put together with them all in it. Then almost near 20 minute promo from Paul Heyman at the start of three way dance as well. Everybody's wetting at the wet in the laps. Sabu no shows. Chris, what do you make of this for Sabu's point of view? First of all, do you understand to an extent? Do you think he's being being a bad guy here? What, what do you think is Sabu the man? I can see why he put New Japan over ECW. Mm-hmm. New Japan have given him a guaranteed deal. They've said you're going to get X amount, X amount of dates, and it's money definitely on the table. We know that no one has permanent contracts in ECW. Everyone gets per deal shots. So it's one of those. If you were to go to work tomorrow and they went, 
we'll pay you every, at the end of every day, but we can't guarantee you work next week. Mm-hmm. Or you get told you can go work next door and you're guaranteed a year deal and you're going to get every day, you know, how, what you're going to work and what you're going to get. What are you going to do? You're always going to go where you guaranteed what's going to happen. Because at the end of the day, you've got bills to pay. You know, if you, you know, you've got to be making an income. Did he go about it the wrong way? Yes. I don't think at any point he should have been saying that he would be able to do both shows. Maybe he thought that it was possible to fly himself from one side of the world to the other in time. But as as a as a as a man that has bills to pay, I think going to New Japan and taking the guaranteed money is what you would do. And on ECW, Chris, I, I, can I want to ask two questions here. ECW, the position that they were in initially with Sabu, and how you think that impacted them as a company, but more so how you think they dealt with it, whether it was a Paul Heyman promo, whether it was the instantly instantly produced segment with Todd Gordon denouncing him and kind of indefinitely suspending him, or even just like where they where they went for there with Rick Steiner. I mean, how do you think they dealt with that as a company? Um, it's one of those with how they've dealt with it. They've dealt with it in a way that they think is best for them. They've clearly gone. This is the truth. This is why he's not here. It's on him. Whether that morally, in a business term, is the right way to do it, I don't know. Because you've got Sabu, who is your guy. You know, you, you very much promote around him. He is, he is one of your main eventers. And you're sort of throwing him under the bus a bit. You know, you are making him massively the scapegoat. You're turning the, the fans against him. Would he ever be welcomed back because of this? Bob, I'm going to come to you, but I'm going to ask them in reverse order of the way I just did with Chris. First things first, from a company point of view, ECW have looked at this as kind of seeing almost reality as king. Paul Heyman, not Paulie Dangerously, Paul Heyman went into that ring at the start of that show We've seen what he can do in the guise of Paulie dangerously with regards to having a microphone in his hand. How do you think that approach looks on ECW from a product point of view? Do you think that's the way that they want to paint themselves? We've had big, big criticism of particularly WWF in the last year or so with regards to cartoon gimmicks. Do you think this is something that could almost revolutionise. I mean, I know it's a catch line that the company's got is join the revolution. Do you think it could be a revolution that's starting there with this kind of aspect to the business? How do you look at it? Well, I, I think it's less about how I look at it and more kind of to observe it in terms of there's a number of different ways you can look at it. I think if you're a part of WCW and and you look at how they dealt with the Hogan thing last month, well, I don't know how much notice they had with Hogan not appearing at the TV tapings there, and it, it, it's certainly not a, an identical situation, but WCW would have said, okay, he's not here, we're going to work around it, we change plans, we move on. 
the what they might look at ECW, one they might go, yeah, you guys are small time, you confront up, but we'd never do that. And I think, I think you could understand that logic in the sense that Heyman could have written that there there was a way of, there was a way of doing this that didn't destroy the relationship between Sabu and the ECW audience. And let us not forget that Sabu is arguably the best act they've got. I'd say he's on a par with, with Benoit and Funk. Yeah. Um, he's one of the most history performers of the, the short-lived ECW history so far. And all of that. And there was very much a way in which a WCW-type company would have said, look, it's an unfortunate situation. We need to get out of it. He's one of our biggest stars. Let's patch it up the best we can and we move on. So there's a way of looking at it like that. Now, switching subjects slightly, part of me, it would be remiss to take Paul Heyman's word necessarily at face value in the sense that I don't get the sense he's a guy who is going to be give present a balanced opinion where it wouldn't benefit his argument to do so. So whether the story is exactly as Heyman presents it, I don't know. You know, Heyman claims that, uh, claims that Sabu swore to God that he wasn't going to be there. Sabu said, he asked me, do you swear to God? And I said, yes, because I wanted to get off the phone that I was going to be there. So there's all that. There's different ways of looking at it in the sense that from there was a, there would have been a very easy way to have got out of this. It wouldn't have quite been as front uppy as they would have done it. And it perhaps wouldn't have been quite as noteworthy, but equally it would have freed up Sabu to come back the following week. Um, so all of that, but I can understand why if I'm Heyman and if the story is as close to Heyman's viewpoint as it, he says it is. And based on what Sabu has said, I think it is. Um, Quite why Sabu didn't think he could just tell Heyman, I can't make it, even on a week's notice, I don't know. This isn't a company that holds grudges. Terry Funk didn't appear at the tapings last August for one reason or another. Gabe is, said to Heyman or whatever, I can't make it, I think he said flights are an issue or something like that. They changed plans slightly on the hoof, whatever. Fine. Sabu, if he'd have been smart enough, just said, look, I've been double booked. These guys pay my wages. I know you've got this stuff built up. I can't make it. Hayden would have been pissed off. He would have had to have changed plans. He wouldn't have been very happy, but Sabu would have got his gig. From Sabu's point of view, I understand, you know, look after number one and look after your Japanese gig because that's what pays your wages. I don't think any party comes out of this looking squeaky clean. Long story short, Dale. I th- yeah, I think I agree with I agree with both these there. I mean, something that I would maybe say in response to you, Bob, is do you think Heyman's maybe looking at this as we know performance level, Sabu, Sabu is up there, as we said, number one in the match per ten that we do. Just an absolute innovator of the innovator of the sport. We were both happy when that New Japan story came out tail end of last year, beginning of this year, that he would still be Maybe not as committed, but certainly still committed to an extent with ECW, and we still get to see him in weekly TV. Do you think Cayman's maybe doing this more from a point of view of setting down the ground rules in that locker room where you've got these guys that are on appearance fees, that are not on contracts, to try and almost to try and galvanise them? Do you think it's almost like a kind of almost like a kind of UK soccer term here, but the Millwall crazy gang where it's us against the world? You think that's what he's trying to do? 
Maybe. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, look, it's it's not. While it's uh, an approach that has weaknesses, I'm not going to sit here and say it's a horrible decision. It's a way of doing it. It has some negatives in the sense that you. They may have completely burned the bridge with Sabu, which I think was a mistake. I mean, he's talking about trying to get a part-time gig with WCW now. Um, not that I anticipate WCW are going to book him all that well, but equally, if he can get himself over, you might never see him again if you're ECW. Um, but yeah, I, I, it, it's a way of going about it. And, and put it this way, I get the sense that the Sabu stuff may have got 10% more out of everyone else on the, or, or, or in the locker room that night and perhaps for some future nights as well. So there's positives, there's negatives, but I think Heyman went about it the wrong way. And I can understand if I'm Sabu why well, I'm a bit pissed off that Heyman went as far as he did. Um, but yeah, uh, maybe it did, maybe it helped, but if I'm Heyman, I'd rather placate the situation in a different way and make sure Sabu was back next month. And on that, on that bombshell, that pretty much brings us to another, an end to another wacky month in ECW where it's seldom boring. Um, Chris, you are on Twitter. I am. I'm on Twitter. My personal one is Lacey555666. And you also have uh, the Super Brawls podcast. It is, um, where we are going through the eternity of uh, EC, NWA, EC, and WCW pay-per-views. At the minute, we are just in this summer of 1989, so we are at the joy of Flair and Steamboat pretty much every pay-per-view. Have you got Flair and Funk to come, or is that finished? That's after Steamboat. So Whoa. we get Flair, there you go. Flair and Steamboat, then into Flair and Funk. Good times are happening. And where can uh, we find that to download and listen to us? You can find us on iTunes if you put in Super Brawls. Uh, if you don't use iTunes, search us on Twitter at Super Brawls and our RSS links are all on there. And that's for Steamboat and Flair. And then after that, Flair and Funk, if you needed an incentive to try and get that listened to. Bob, you're a guest in your own show. It doesn't happen overly often. Promote yourself. Well, yeah, where to begin? Um, f- first thing to say, that Flair and Funk match is really good um, for, from 89. I know it's, I know it precedes our, our timeline, but um, yeah, if you want an excuse to go watch uh, and watch some stuff kind of before what we're doing, I, I'd say that would be near the top of my list. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Bobby Bamba. Um, yeah, and Dale, you're going to do the, the, the podcast promotions. So that's about it. I'll do the I'll do the promotional and the professional stuff. It's probably in a bit of a, a loose hand at the wheel, but I'll try my best. You can find me, Del Muir, on Twitter at Del underscore Muir. Also check out the Wrestling20YRS.com, the website for all the podcasts, all the blogs, all the power rankings, ECW stuff on there. Obviously looking at some of this month's stuff, and I'm sure there'll be a couple of articles coming up by the beginning of next month in regards to some of the big things that's happening in the future of the company. You can check out the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast on Facebook. Just search for Wrestling20YRS and on Twitter as well at Wrestling20YRS. Get all your up-to-date house show results on there as well as links to all the blogs and the past episodes. You can also check out the website, as I say, searches on iTunes. Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Get the RSS feed on the website as well. Facebook, give us a like. Twitter, give us a follow iTunes, give us a subscription, a rating and a comment if you can and for the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, that was Chris Lacey, Bob Bamba my name's Del Muir, until the next time
Goodbye.